Hello and welcome to another episode of What Comes Next, a show all about the technologies that will shape your future. I'm Rob Kellner. I'm Amy Dickens. And I'm Kwaku Akamensa. Amy, hi, how's it going? Hello, hello. I am currently isolating in Devon with my parents. They've just flown in from Canada, so it, this is a delight. You're isolating in De- How's it going? I mean, it's, it's, uh, I can imagine that's quite a sort of intense state of affairs. Yeah, it's been all right, actually. They're doing the, um, the five-day test release, so it's not, like, too long. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just always interesting when you're, like, I live alone. So, for me, when I isolate, it's just me pottering around doing my own thing. So, isolating with two other people is is um is an interesting one yeah yeah but, i imagine uh, particularly particularly family can be uh yeah can be a bit more, a bit yeah. more stressful no, it's, it's been all right they've, they've been pretty good sports about it so yeah, yeah it's been pretty good but um yeah i have another i have another book for you rob for for amy's amy's book corner amy's book club but book corner bit club is it corner i would like to call it amy's book nook book oh god that's good amy's <laughs> book nook that's fantastic so the one I have for you this week is called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet um, by Becky Chambers. The it's Long Way to a Small Angry That's a fantastic title. The Long title. Way to a Small Angry Planet. And um, the, the, the premise of it is it's like a group of people on a ship who their job is to, to dig interstellar tunnels. So they are doing tunneling from one point of the galaxy or one point of the universe to another. Um, this book is not for hardcore sci-fi people. Like it's very light and fuzzy. I somebody described it as a mix between uh, Firefly and Guardians of the Galaxy, and that is spot on. It's like really lovable, quirky characters. The plot is a little thin, but you don't really care because you get quite into like the sort of social structure of the characters. Yeah, it, there are different alien species on the ship, and it goes into detail about their cultural customs and. Uh, like how they see gender, how they see interactions with other people. It's just super fun. That's awesome. Um, it's really, really, cool. really like fuzzy and lightweight. It's part of a four-part series. Um, but the other the other books, they're not about the same characters. So they're all part of like one universe, but right. they're different stories. Um, and I've heard the others aren't as good. So Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, really good fun, very easy read, nothing too challenging, light and fuzzy and warm. It's like awesome. it's like having a bath while eating ice cream. It's just really lovely and comforting. Great way to spend some time. Exactly. Fantastic. Really, really cool. What did you think of the uh, innovations of the week last week? Oh, I thought they were pretty cool. Like th- this is what I was saying. This book I was reading, they actually talk about immunobots, which are like the tiny little robots that these people have in their bloodstreams. And then yeah. whenever they whenever they enter a new spaceship, they have to get their immunobots updated for any diseases or oh, any like, particular cool. healthcare on the ship. Uh, so yeah, when Quaku was talking about these this little like tiny robot, I was like, oh my god, this is very prevalent because or very relevant because um, I was I was reading that book. So that seemed that seemed pretty cool. Nice. And yeah, the uh, the kite was it? It's a kite, right? That the wind power kite. Yeah, they call it a kite. I don't know what the technical definition of a kite is. It seems like a bit <laughs> of a stretch to call it a kite. I mean, it's it's, it's sort of essentially a tethered drone, uh, but obviously yeah. it does it does it does sail the wind, you know, in a sense to to generate power. Yeah, fascinating. Um, really interesting idea. Yeah, really really cool. I um, loved the idea that you can like. I think I can't remember which one of you said, but you could like set up a campsite and just like release the drone to power your campsite. That or that like sounds that. like a, a lofty outdoors deployment. <laughs> so that sounds like it was quaky rather than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I really enjoyed it. You guys did a great job with that episode. Well, speaking of medical technology, we've got a fantastic interview to share with you today. We're speaking to Dr. Murray Ellender, a London GP and co-founder of eConsult, a medtech startup offering online consultations to almost 30 million patients across the UK. Dr. Murray Ellender, thank you so much for coming on What Comes Next. It's great to talk to you today. Thank you very much for having me on, Rob. It's really a uh, real pleasure to chat to you today. Great. And how was your, has your summer been? Did you manage to kind of get away, do anything interesting after some of, you know, after kind of most lockdown has, has ended? Yeah, we did. Very lucky, actually got away overseas. So um, we've, I've got, we've got four kids. So an idea of kind of being locked down for another, any period of time over the summer was just a nightmare. So but we got, we got away, for, we got away to the Mediterranean for two weeks. It was amazing. It felt like years since we've been on holiday. So I'm very lucky. Felt very lucky to do that. It's funny, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it feels like an incredibly long time since kind of normality uh, yeah. has kind of been taken effect. Yeah. At the same time, kind of going into the office and not wearing masks and that kind of thing, it feels like 
it also like lockdown didn't happen. It's a really strange yeah. kind of mixture of feelings. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And the, the, we've, we've grown the team loads since over this period. So I keep meeting people in the office and I'm kind of like, I can't, have I met you? You know, you, kind of feel, <laughs> you feel like you've met them through the medium of Zoom or all these other platforms. So you feel like you know people, but actually you've never physically met them. And they go, no, no, we've yeah. never actually met. And I'm like, have we, have we not? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a real, real mix of, yeah. We're still, we're still doing this kind of mixed, mixed working of going into the office and, and doing some stuff from home. So do you think that will, do you think that will continue? Do you, or do you kind of envision kind of going back full time at some point? No, I think definitely for us as, as a, as a tech business, we'll continue this kind of mixed, you know, more flexible way of working because it suits some people really well, particularly people like the, the, the engineers. They love the peace and quiet of kind of, you know, a, a dark room doing coding. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, you know, the kind of, say the kind of grads who've never really experienced the office environment, like the sales and marketing team, actually it's really important that they can come into the office and spend some time with the team and get to understand the culture. So we're, we're not being really prescriptive about it. We're kind of saying, look, actually it's, you know, this today, the marketing team are in the office, so it's a good day to come in. Um, and it's, you know, so a, mi a mix of working from home, working from the office. And personally, I'm, I'm in three days a week and working from home two days a week. Nice. Or, That's a great balance. Yeah, it's good. Well, we're here to today talk about e-consult. So yeah. on the one hand, I want to talk to you, I want to sort of refer to you as, you know, this really kind of cutting edge med tech startup on the other, on the other hand, your service is available to 29 million patients around the UK, which it must be, I mean, pretty close to half of all patients yeah. in the UK. Yeah. So you're, you know, you know, you're sort of this interesting kind of nimble, fast growing business. On the other hand, you're massive and everywhere, which is fascinating. <laughs> I imagine quite a cool place to be. So could you just start by telling us a bit about e-consult, your history and kind of what you offered to patients? Yeah, no, of course. Absolutely. It's a, yeah, no, I, I feel very, very lucky and, and privileged to be operating within such a huge, you know, uh, span of the NHS. I guess it all it started because um, we were a group of GPs. So I'm a, I'm a GP by background. I still practice as a GP, although that's a, a very part-time bit of my life nowadays. But we we were we had uh, a number of GP practices in London, but we're slightly frustrated with the fact that the model of seeing the GP was the same as it is everywhere. I.e., if you want to see a GP, you've got to get on the phone at eight o'clock in the morning, wait in a phone queue for forty minutes, and then we might invite you in to be seen a week next Thursday, if you're lucky, for a 10 minute face to face appointment. And what you know, not every patient needs that some definitely do, but not everyone does. So there must be a better way of doing this digital holds the key, no doubt, to, um, you know, as as digital has transformed other industries, healthcare has always lagged a bit behind. Mm -hmm. So like, like everyone does, we started off with video, this kind of video interaction, um do a video call with your gp but pretty soon found that actually it doesn't save any time you still need 10 minutes of a doctor and 10 minutes of a patient at the same time um and also the other thing about the nhs is the broadband in most practices is terrible so as soon as you get two doctors on a call it all grinds to a halt <laughs> and and the worst thing you can do in a consultation with a patient is you know spend the first two minutes just trying to establish a connection to speak to them so you know we were like, look, actually, there's, there's got to be, maybe there's another way. So came up with a different idea, which is gather the story from the patient. So find out what's wrong with them up front. So ask them questions about their back pain or their contraception or their depression. Gather that information from the patient in their time. Put it in front of their doctor. So it's a kind of asynchronous interaction. And then the doctor can look at that information and go, actually, I've got enough information here. I've got their medical record. I don't need to bring this patient in. I can, you know, I can deal with this remotely um, and so actually that saves patients the pain of always having to come in um, and it also saves time for the clinician because actually you're doing a, a, so much of medicine is built on that kind of history take either gathering the story from the patient and actually you're kind of streamlining that process and doing that in the patient's time and then giving the doctor the time just to assimilate that and make a diagnosis and, and a plan about how to treat them. So that was the, that's the origins. It was kind of born out of, look, we need to do this differently. There must be a better way. It makes so much sense. And when you, when you kind of put it like that, and it's interesting, I guess, you know, to think about how much a patient thinks about their own kind of experience of that journey. You know, do yeah. they see, do, they, do you know, are they answering the same questions over and over again? Do they have a sense of, I suppose, 
I don't want to use the word inefficiency. It seems kind of almost cruel, but I guess the sort of the bloat of the process on their end, and they're yeah. you know they're also they're, the role they can play in helping streamline things in order to benefit themselves. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. And actually, that's a it's a really good point because we get a lot of um, very positive patient feedback along two of those themes. One is the kind of actual sense of social responsibility that a lot of patients feel. You know, actually, if I can save my doctor some time, that's a good thing. And you know, we get a lot of feedback about that. They, the patient feels like they've helped the NHS by doing this this way, not kind of, you know, we're not wasting the doctor's time for something that actually they didn't necessarily need to go into the building for. Yeah. And the other, the other piece is actually a kind of un unintended benefit that we found over time is that you're, uh, whereas before that kind of history take from me as a GP and the patient, I'm really trying to shorten it. I'm trying to gather as much information as I can in a really short space of time. But often that doesn't give the patient the chance to say what they really wanted to say, you know, and actually this, mm. you're kind of giving the patient more space to really get down on paper what they want to say to the doctor, uh, not on paper, obviously, you know what I mean, yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the keyboard. Yeah, on the record. So, so a lot of patients, a lot of patients say that, you know, actually, you know, it's not like a rushed consultation where there's this pressure to kind of, I've got to say this thing to the doctor. Yeah, they can actually put some thought into how they want to articulate that. And then we'll also, but we'll make sure it's safe as well, because we'll ask them all the kind of safety questions and take a really thorough history. So even though it feels like, you know, often the patient can, you know, some of the patients are like, well, there's a lot of work here. I've got to answer these questions. Actually, there's a huge benefit to both the patient, the clinician and the system. Certainly sort of in the olden days is that it's just back to back patients all day long. Yeah. Um, yeah. which if there's anything I've learned from this, this sort of new video chat way of working is that it's exhausting having to just yeah. be present for people all day long. Um, so I guess in, in, with this kind of solution, you're actually giving the GP a chance to just sit back with written word and just be like, okay, I can process this in my own time. I can grab a cup of tea if I need it. I can get back to a patient and just kind of give them a little bit of sort of mental space as well. Is, is that, is that correct? Amy, that's spot on. That's absolutely right. I think in, you know, actually, you know, GP day was, you know, 20 face-to-face -face contacts in the morning, like one after the other. And absolutely, as you say, you know, for every patient that comes in, you've kind of got to give your best to that patient in that 10 minutes. And actually by the 18th and 19th one, you know, you're not the same person you were on the first one. So, you know, and, and actually it's draining. And you then that's the morning. Then you've got to go and do home visits and all the admin in the middle of the day. And then you've got to do that again in the afternoon. So you're absolutely right. And this does this. What this does is it allows GPs to work differently. So they can do that, that those kind of process the e-consults, you know, with a bit more time, consideration. And then actually your afternoon surgery might be seeing patients face to face still. But actually you've got 20 minute slots and you, you're bringing the people in who really need to be seen, not just everyone because that's the only way we see them. So you can be much more intelligent about the way the day's structured. And actually, I think, yeah, absolutely. You get more out of the doctors because it's not it's not just that back-to-back -back all day long. Yeah. So yeah, that's a very good point. Absolutely. And can we talk about, so the user experience from both the patient's perspective and the kind of GP's perspective, how does this change your interaction with your GP and I suppose the GP's interaction with their patients? Absolutely. So we start with the patient because they're the kind of key person in this. Um, and as a business, we've we've almost got two customers because we have got the patient who we build for, but we've also got the, the clinician and we're trying to improve the, the journey at both ends. So it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. And uh, and we kind of give equal weight to both. I yes. Guess. So for the, for the patient, they're they're now directed rather than, you know, join this phone queue at eight o'clock in the morning. They go onto the pr practice website and no offense to GP practice, but practice websites aren't the slickest things in the world um so we tend to sit as a kind of big overlay banner or a light box over the website so we'll kind of pop up and and make it really obvious actually you can now consult with your doctor online um and then as a patient you go in there's uh you, you, we try to narrow you fairly early on down a certain path so, you know so is this an administrative thing like you need a letter or a sick note or something or is this something clinical i.e you're feeling depressed or you're uh, you've got a sore throat or you've got backache. So we'll try and get you down that path. Then we'll actually give you options to maybe help yourself. So there's some things like, for example, a patient with hay fever. Actually, you don't really need to put you in front of a GP. Let's route you off to the pharmacy because they can fix you and sort you out. So we'll offer up kind of self-help options. Um, but then 
ultimately, if, if you kind of get past that first bit, we'll then ask you a series of questions. So say you are a patient who's feeling anxious or a bit depressed. We'll then ask you a bunch of questions about, you know, much, and they're, this, they're all written and authored by doctors. So mm. all the questions are exactly as if you were as a patient sat in front of me and I was asking those questions. Mm. Um, and we try to do as much in that journey to explain to the patient why we're doing it. You know, this actually, this is the start of your consultation. Um, and then at the end of it, the patient gets told, thank you, that's been sent through to your doctor and you will get a response by the end of the next working day. Okay, so you're being, you know, you're not promising a response instantly, yeah. but actually as if, you're, if it's a patient, you kind of know that someone's gonna get back to me within 24 hours. That's, you know, you, you know what, what's gonna happen. Yeah. So, and then that then gets, that, that information gets bundled up. We put it in front of the, the doctor. So, and say the patient's done it at nine o'clock at night, the next morning the doctor will come in, they'll open up their e-consults and <clears throat> look at that information. They have the medical record and then they'll make a decision about what to do. And that's where the kind of gain comes in because actually we know for about 70 or 80% of these e-consults, you can manage them without bringing the patient into the building. So just to be clear, so that's the equivalent of saying you can sort of, uh, while well, delivering you know, the, same, the quality of care needed, take away 70 to 80% of, as it were, in-person GP appointments. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Wow. This is the thing that the, the public, you know, many you know, patients who, who have interacted with the system and its work, they're like, brilliant, I totally get this. I think there is still an exercise for us to do and for the health system to do, to say to patients, actually, look, this is a really good way to interact with your doctor. It's almost, you know, this is better than the old way. Let's not just go default back to if you want to see a doctor you have to go and sit in the building in front of them mm. you know there's a bit of there's a bit of a kind of pendulum swinging back at the moment you know there's you may have seen some of the articles in the press recently i can't get to see my gp face to face mm. and you know fair enough absolutely if if you need to see your gp face to face or you want to you should be able to mm. I get that but actually you don't always need to and there's mm. enough we've got plenty of patients out there who kind of go no this was brilliant and um, yeah, sometimes, you know, if I've got to examine an abdomen, I can't do that remotely. I'm going to have to bring you in and, 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 and examine you. But you'd be amazed how much you can sort out remotely. Yeah, I definitely feel like as, as a person who is not a GP, but has definitely been a patient, yeah. um, there are so many instances where I'm just sitting going, I ab I'd like, I know that this is just like, for example, mm. getting like the pill or something, you're yeah. like, this is just yeah. a prescription. Like, that's all yeah. I need. Why yeah. do I have to go and take up a 10 minute slot with my GP? This is ridiculous. I know. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the pills another really good example. There's some safety stuff we have to do as doctors. Yeah, like sure. We have, we have to ask you some stuff to make sure this is still, you know, the right pill for you, et cetera. And also do things like take your blood pressure, but Hey, let's trust the patient to take the blood pressure. You know, there's ways of means of doing that now. And you can just tell us what your blood pressure is. And like, you know, why would you make that up? So, you know, again, exactly right. You don't need to bring you in every time to see you. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely the way forward. Um, this kind of new way of interacting, but I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're on a bit of a journey here. It's, you know, there's so much of this is not just the technology, it's also the kind of transformation that goes with that technology. Yeah, there's a cultural change we're looking at, right? Because we've got different generations of people who are comfortable with different levels of, um, of technology. And I Absolutely. know like my grandparents' generation, they are phone people. They don't go online to book, yeah. a, to, to book an appointment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can understand that there will be differing opinions, but certainly, yeah. Uh, Certainly, that's, it feels like a good solution. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's, it's a really good point. We have, you know, we've got the whole a, a range of ages who use this. You know, we've got, we've had some patients through who've been over 100, right? But yes, I don't, I don't want to pretend that everyone should do this, you know, and, and it, we, we certainly, we advise practices, look, don't force everyone to go online, you know, get, get the digital natives online. That's fine, right? And what that does is it frees up your phone lines. And then those people who aren't digital, digital comfortable with digital, they can get through on the phone in a way that they couldn't two years ago. So it benefits even the kind of non-digital natives as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose this is the 
the non-hyperbolic way of looking at this is that this is going to form part of a, a it's a hybrid solution isn't yes. it it's you know there is there's going to be a digital aspect there's going to be the sort of analog you know call someone up what you want to speak to a human you want to hear a human voice except yeah. you want to go and see someone yeah. but there are i suppose it you know more than enough people who are happy to take a digital first approach to create yeah. the kind of big cost and emotional savings that you're looking to create for the nhs generally right exactly that and you know and actually the old way of doing things wasn't sustainable you know demand yeah. was just going up and up and up and up and up and actually if we keep making everyone come into a building to see us in 10 minute slots it's just not going to work so yeah yeah absolutely so something has to be done for sure I'm, I'm interested this is because health is so you know so personal and so it's such a sort of as a worst or can be a very sensitive topic what have you kind of built into the patient experience to kind of give people a sense of being kind of cared for and, and kind of, you know, I guess generally building in kind of intuitive, you know, as, you know aspects. Well, how does that kind of design process work? You know, were kind of patients involved? What did that look like on your side? No, it's a really good point. We've got um, a whole kind of product UX team who spend and still do. This is not a kind of, you know, oh, we did that at the beginning. <laughs> and now it's an ongoing process of evolution of the, the product and doing lots of user testing with patients. And, you know, and making sure it's accessible to all all patients, potentially, you know, so actually, um, and, and the, there are very useful kind of NHS or web guidelines that can help you with that. But also, actually, there's that patient testing, which we do a lot of. I think one of the really key things is is building trust. And actually, that's why the route for us is through the GP website or through actually the NHS app is the other way into the platform. Because mm. actually there's a lot of trust around the NHS brand, one thing. Mm. And the, the other thing is, you know, actually it's not, I don't want people to come through a kind of faceless e-consult front door because people will be like, well, who's this e-consult thing? Well, you know, actually what the patient recognizes is their practice. I am registered with this bricks and mortar building. So actually that's where they will naturally, that's what, you know, so let them land on the practice website where they can see a picture of, oh yeah, I remember that building. I used to go there two years ago. Um, and, and actually there's the doctors that look after me, but actually now I can interact with them digitally. Great. So actually that's why the routine is through the practice website. Cause even though they're not great, at least you're interacting with, you know, Hatfield medical center or Bexley, you know, it, it's your yeah. practice. And there is honestly that you can't underestimate that level of, trust in that bricks and mortar building we're just you're interacting with it differently that's fascinating because you know obviously so many sort of uh, platform-led solutions are all about sort of the you know there's a there's a nicely branded app on your phone you press mm -hmm. it you know you're removing kind of any sort of possible step or, or any yeah. form of friction for the user. Yeah. So I think it's a really, and it makes so much sense when you put it like that, you know, that, you know, you're kind of drawing down on your relationship with this physical place, yeah. which I get, which I imagine adds so much kind of comfort to, to people, particularly people who are a little less comfortable with digital solutions. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And there was, you know, a lot of patients when you're interacting with the doctor, you imagine you're slightly vulnerable, you know, you're feeling, you're not feeling hundred percent. You're not, you know, so you need something. And it, it's another good point about the whole the kind of frictionless side of the journey because we've done we did a lot up front i don't know if you've ever registered with any of these things that kind of you can book a gp appointment online or uh access your records online and often there's quite a complicated login to remember it up yeah, past, yeah. and it's like and a lot of patients go oh i can't i don't i'll pick up the phone and actually <laughs> i literally did a, just did that two weeks ago yeah, there you go. <laughs> you're like oh i don't know how to you know and also historically we've made it really hard you know Oh yeah, you can use our new digital service to book appointments, but you need to come into the building first to get a password. You know, it's like completely <laughs> defeats the object. It completely defeats the object of a digital solution. So, um, so we actually we never had a login. Like we don't. So actually, there's a kind of actually you're a patient. You can just go straight into it, right? And we're from almost the beginning of the journey. We're starting to ask, how can I help you? Uh, and and then questioning about what's wrong. And we capture the boring demographic bits at the end of the journey. Who are you? But there's no yeah. password. So actually, what we do is we then verify who you are at the practice end. So we can then cross-reference that, you know, outside of the patient's time with your record and what we've got in the system for you. And then when, if I'm a doctor and I'm ringing you back, I can then validate who you are. So, but actually that's yeah. a good example of kind of, you know, if you put a login in front of something, you lose a lot of customers because they kind of, they drop out of that first bit. Yeah. So it's kind of like, Absolutely. let's let's really reduce the friction and, and allow patients just to flow through this as easily as we can, because 
you know, we are going to put them through a bit of pain. We're going to ask them some questions. It's not like a kind of check, I'm in to see the GP. So you, we want to minimize the dropout rates and the friction in that journey. What are the kind of red flags that you would look for for someone to trigger that somebody needs to come into the practice? Like what what's the kind of boundary between, okay, this is something we can deal with digitally versus this is something we need somebody to come in for? Yeah, so really, really good point because I think we've got, we have lots of these red flag type questions buried in the in the questioning. So, and that's a safety thing because this is often available 24 seven, right? And your GP isn't available 24 seven. So um, we have lots of kind of checks within the system that mean that if you say you've got a rash, but actually you've also got some neck stiffness and a bit of a fever, you know, actually this is a bit more potentially than just a benign rash. Um, if that starts to trigger through the questioning, we might actually say to you as a patient, you know what, it's nine o'clock on a Friday, your GP's not gonna see this on Monday. This, this isn't appropriate for you. Call 111 click here you know what i mean we'll actually divert people away if we think it's if, if you if you can't wait that then there are kind of lower grade flags so that actually well this is probably okay but we need to alert the gp to this so actually we'll then highlight that in the in the what the gp sees on the screen to kind of say actually like, worry a bit about these questions or these responses and we really draw the gp's attention to that stuff so and that gives the gps then an indication of okay actually, i probably i may need to see this one but the really interesting point in all that is none of this is kind of AI automated, pushing people away based on their questions. And you might kind of think, well, why not? And that's a really interesting point, but actually what we're doing here is we're leaving the GP or the nurse or the, as the decision maker. So they yeah. are still, it's not the computer deciding this is a face-to-face -face one. It's still the human. And that's, and that, that's conscious. Because I think a lot of the systems that have tried to deploy AI and apply it in general practice, you know, they have to be very risk averse. Yeah. You know, so by, by default, because actually they have to be, because it's, you know, it's too early in the, in, in the kind of foothills of this innovation. So we consciously, we are, we gather information from the patient and we put it in front of the doctor, but the doctor's still making the decision about what to do. We're not mm. making the decision. We're just making that decision-making process slicker for all the parties. Now that's not to say over time, as we do more and more of these, so we're doing, we're doing about 1.2 million of these consults a month now. We've done 18 million. So there's a, there's a you know, wow. huge amount of, of questions we've asked patients. And actually, so over, over time, as we do more and more of these, there is an opportunity there to start to use some of this and go, start to say, to nudge people a bit more. You know, actually, we've seen that all these hay fever ones that come through, they don't really need to go to the doctor. Should we automatically push them to the, to the pharmacy for you? So I think there's a, over time, we can start mm -hmm. to add in more automation. But again, it's that, that whole point about building up trust of both the patient and the and the doctor, you know, and, it, and taking them a bit on this journey, you know, and automating more and more. And that will take a few years, I should think. And I imagine with this culture change shift that we were mentioning earlier, the, the sort of um, the knowledge when you're using it that a real person is still going to look at your case no matter what you answer yeah. is like quite a comforting one at least while people are getting used to this kind of new way yeah. of being seen really i i, I totally agree because i think it's again it's about building trust over time and you can't leap from you know a face-to-face -face interaction with a human doctor to ai chatbot tells you what's wrong with you you know it's too much of a leap yeah, absolutely yeah we may get there one we will get there one day right but at the moment you know it's kind of like a this is a step on that journey yeah, yeah. it's like it's like when you go to those chatbots online for anything and you type yeah. in please can you help me buy this thing and you get a message up saying oh did you need help booking an appointment yeah. and you're like no i want to buy something oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah exactly they'll get there one day but they you know they, they need a lot more data to you know to drive the intelligence so. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm interested in how you found not just kind of patient adoption, but a kind of adoption of e-consult amongst GPs um, and kind of what feedback you've had from from doctors, because I think, you know, as we sort of touched on, one of the very few kind of as it were, benefits of, of the, the pandemic has been that it has shone a light on the kind of, you know, backbreaking heroic work that the NHS, everyone in the NHS does every single day. And so anything that kind of 
helps them do their job better and takes away some of the stress and some mm. of the necessary administrative burden is so important. Yeah, I, it's um, it's been, you know, it, it, like all things, it's a real mix, right? So there's, yeah. the, there's the kind of early adopters who are like, oh, this is brilliant, totally get it. Um, and then at the other extreme, there's the kind of like, no, I've done, I've seen patients like this all my career. I'm not changing <laughs> what I do. <laughs> and then somewhere in the middle, I, I, I guess what, you know, certainly the, the pandemic drove a lot of the health, the transformation that needed to happen because actually um, we had a lot of pr practices who, or GP practices who maybe had e-consult, had it on their website, but they hadn't really thought about what, how they were going to implement it. So they kind of had a, they had a few patients using it and coming through. And then suddenly the, the pandemic forced them to go, well, actually we need now to be managing these patients remotely. Let me just have a look at this e-consult thing. Oh, I, I get it. This is what it does. You know, it, and, and actually, but that was really helpful because it was kind of like, actually they started going, uh, and a lot of practices rather than just routing everyone to the phone and doing a kind of telephone triage almost, did mm. start routing people to the website. And then actually you get, suddenly they were like, because the, the more you do, the more you get it. Right. And, and actually that's that we allow, you know, we enabled GPs to be able to do stuff that they'd never done before, like do a whole morning surgery from home, you know, give them a laptop, give them access to the medical system. They can, they can, you know, and actually that's great for the, the doctor who is, you know, slightly vulnerable because they're pregnant and shouldn't be in the surgery during this COVID pandemic, but actually we can still harness them by giving them a laptop, setting them at home, and they can still, you know, add, you know, d deliver care. So mm. it was, it was, you know, it was great to see lots and lots of doctors working in different ways. And, um, uh, you know, we went from 120,000 consults a month to 1.2 million. So we saw a 10 times gr growth wow. in usage on the platform. Yeah, so it's, you know, and actually, but, and I'm not, I'm not pretending that, you know, all the GPs are converted. There's still a lot of work to do, right? So you will still get GPs in practice who go, no, I still like seeing my patients face to face. I'm glad this pandemic's coming to a close because like, you know, and, that, and that's fine. And in some ways I would say, look, don't force it. Like within a practice, right, get, get those, let those doctors see the patients face to face. And actually yeah. you're, you can let, and they, the more digitally, savvy happy doctors let them do the e-consults that's fine you know we shouldn't I, I, certainly a lot of feedback from doctors is they much prefer this uh back to what amy said earlier about the kind of you know the, the relentless every day is the same there's a real kind of you can mix up the week now you might do it like a day of remote consulting and then a day in practice or then a day doing delivering vaccination so actually that makes the job more sustainable i think as a clinician Absolutely. And I guess it also gives like the, as we're all discovering with the sort of benefits of remote working, it gives you a bit more flexibility around like family life. If you need to go pick up the kids from school or, yep. you know, whatever you need to do, it just, yep. it allows people who have to be patient facing to have a bit more of that flexibility built into their day. That's totally great. does. What's the NHS like to deal with as, as a, cause you're, you're, you're kind of in and out, right? You're, yeah. you're a yeah, co-founder yeah, yeah. of a tech startup. You're, you're a doctor yourself. What's the NHS? Yeah. Well, as a sort of commissioning body or, a, or a sort of a, a you know, organization, you know, a massive organization commissioning, uh, innovative solutions. What's it like to deal with? And, and, you know, clearly you've, you're, you're, you're well adopted. So I suppose it has been not too, too difficult, but quite interesting sort of. Yeah, no, it, it is. And I think it's, you know, it's traditionally lots of, um, people see the NHS as quite hard to do or to, to do business with because it's such a mammoth organization. Yeah. And, um, and it is, you know, actually historically scaling anything up, any innovation up in the NHS has been really difficult. You know, it takes time and it takes patience and you've got to kind of bear with it. And that, that's certainly our experience. You know, it's not like we kind of launched this thing last year and, you know, <laughs> got it into all these practices. It's taken us a long time to do this. Um, so I think certainly to be a in this space, it really helps having kind of a medical background. And actually a lot of the team are also clinicians who've grown up in the NHS. So we kind of get it. You know, it's it, you, you, a lot of um, health tech businesses get a bit frustrated with the trying to sell into the NHS thing. And they go, okay, let's just go overseas for a bit and kind of fairly early get overseas to try and achieve scale. Um, and mm. we haven't done that. We've focused very on on the NHS, and 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 you know, I always say to kind of other 
other tech startups look, be patient. It, it, even though it's one organization, there are 7,000 GP practices that you're selling to, there's primary care networks, there's clinical commissioning groups. And we're, now, we're now starting to deal with hospitals as well. You know, there's a 182 acute hospital trusts and they all behave differently. So it's the NHS kind of umbrella, but it's actually got lots of different organizations that you've got to interact with or sell into as a business. And you've got to, you know, you've got to understand that and also be a bit patient. The NHS is the number one employer in the world. It's like the yeah. biggest employer in the world. So you're dealing with a very large organization. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. Exactly. And, you know, things, you know, things accelerated are, are kind of us into this space. I think the NHS did put some central funding behind it. So something that makes it easier as a business because there's a, a fund for digital in in general practice right now actually that means then it's no longer us trying to convince gp that there's a good return on investment on this buy it you buy it as an individual gp you know the system's almost buying it for them so that that that's a good thing to stimulate and you know development and growth um i i always still say that look, we are in the foothills of this digital transformation in healthcare you know yeah. we've just started it's not you know there's still a long way to go I suppose one of the other things that patients might be a little concerned about is um, digitalization versus privacy. Um, so yeah. how do you sort of approach, you know, privacy, kind of maintaining sort of medical records and kind of reassuring patients that their records are safe? It's a very good point. And, uh, you know, even more so than banking, you know, your kind of medical record is, is you know, sec- treating that securely is absolutely paramount. And we, so certainly when we've got, you know, we've built up expertise in our, technical team now you know so this the system is you know super secure it kind of conforms to the nhs security and privacy standards and you know we have external teams we get in to try and hack it and all that kind of stuff right? all that. and it the, the key bit for us is we don't retain patient data in the system so we gather it from the patient we put it in front of the doctor and then we get rid of it and that is uh, and actually very you know patients do but you know, not many patients kind of delve into the privacy policy to understand that but they yeah. can i mean we have it right up front in the journey you know but as like so many people do you just go yes I accept. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but that's it's yeah but it's we've made it really clear and kind of really easy to read language that actually we don't retain your data that's it's your data and actually we're going to put it in your gp record okay so and that's it's important to us again it's about that building of trust and mm-hmm. making sure that you know I, i'm not i'm not gathering all this data so i can sell it to a big farmer over here or you know it's about because i think there's much more to be had that, you know there is a lot of data that we're gathering and that you know you, you there's a lot of in, intelligence within that but actually i don't need to know that it was yours rob or yours amy's you know what i mean I, we can still make use and, and make the system cleverer without identifying redacting it right back to that individual patient so we don't yeah. we, we're, we're very careful about that and you know um the information governance is really important so you you talked about a little bit earlier about just the amount of data that you are collecting at the moment you've got you know millions of records now um and you sort of touched a little bit on ai using an AI potentially. So do you, do you have a sort of vision for the next five years with eConsult or are you sort of just waiting to see where these pockets of opportunity pop up? No, no, we've, yeah, we have, we've definitely got a, a, a vision for what we want to do and where we, I mean, I, I definitely don't want, uh, we're going to focus on what we're good at, right? Yeah. What, we're, what we do well is we gather the information from the patient and we put it in front of the clinician. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, so actually, can we do that in more bits of the NHS? Yes. So that's the next bit for us. Is actually, right. we do this in in GP practices now, twenty nine million patients. Um, but actually, there's a real opportunity to do this in an A and E environment. So when you walk yeah. into an A and E, gather that information up front, sort the people. So actually, well, you're already sick, so let's get you seen really soon. So we're doing that now. We've got about um, nine A and E sites live with that. Wow. Cool. Um, and then the other bit is when you go and see a specialist, because actually exactly the same, right? So when you go and see a dermatologist or a cardiologist, let's gather some information ahead of that visit to make that journey better for you. So that our ambition is to um, kind of be part of as many of those journeys into the NHS as we can be. And we're very much focusing on the NHS because it's, you know, it's the 
I mean, A, it's kind of where we're from, but it's also the biggest health system mm. in the world. And actually, I, I think if we can pull off something really transformational within the NHS, then actually that is potentially something we could take overseas in the future. But that's in the future. I'm kind of thinking, mm. look, actually, let's really focus on doing something transformational here. Because as you know, you know, and it, doing trying to do something again overseas is a real distraction when you're a mm. relatively small business. So even though we do get asked that question, hey, why don't you come and do this in New Zealand? Maybe we could, but actually it would be a real distraction. Let's really try and get this model uh, right in the NHS first. And basically those three doorways I've described, you know, the GP journey, the A&E journey, and the app specialist journey. If I can start to own as many of those journeys as we can, we can actually make patients' lives a lot better by instead of having three access points, just having one. So in the future, actually, mm. you're just coming through one door and this will tell you where you should be. You know, actually, this you this is actually quite a nasty dermatological condition. We're going to route this straight to the specialist. For you. Do you think that might change the 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 NHS so that it is more uh, there is more re- there are more resources put into specialist care than there are, as it were, sort of generalist primary care? If you're if you're kind of um, and I, I you know, this is sort of long term thinking, maybe that. If you if you need as it were fewer resources to to, to take take care of this sort of general day to day care that you could you could have more dermatologists and more oncologists and so on. Yeah, I I, I guess I'm 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 a bit biased because I come from a general practice background, yeah. and I do think the thing that this health, health the reason this health system is delivers such great care is because it has got general practice at the front door. Yeah. So I, I I'm not a fan of investing more in the kind of super specialization. Yeah. I think if anything we should be investing more in the generalist. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and actually, you know, of all the journeys into the system, there's about 300 million a year in general practice. It sees far more patients than any other bit of the system. Yeah. And so, and that will always continue. I think you, there's still so much that you can handle at that layer. But what you want to do is minimize the kind of delays. So if someone has something that is serious, you know, potential cancer, you don't want to delay that getting through to the specialist. So if we can minimize that journey, and really identify early on those patients that really need the specialist, let's route them to the specialist. Yeah, I can imagine that, uh, especially the way that people are thinking about healthcare now, which is as a more holistic, uh, whole body, whole mind experience, that that, uh, specialists, I believe, have a tendency to kind of see what they specialize in. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I imagine there's always going to be space for generalists. Uh, Exactly. And we haven't really even touched on the kind of whole prevention side. So actually, you know, once you've got patients you know i'm talking about treating illness but actually once you've got them engaging with a platform and there's a there's loads you could then do about starting to do much more preventative medicine so actually monitoring their blood pressure long term and actually preventing them getting iller over time Mm. so it's not all about just fixing them when they're ill it's actually about starting to prevent them getting ill in the first place that's another i get i guess like wildly speculating you get to you get to the point where you've got you know people have watches that are monitoring all kinds of Mm. things and if you get a system that plugs into that that can start alerting you when there's been a change in your blood pressure or in i don't know whatever these watches measure these days yeah Yeah. um yeah Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're 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 creating a front door at the moment. It's it's sort of as it were conscious input of of um, subjective experience of their own well being. Right, there is the future that or potential future. Of this, like you say, is you know is uh, more advanced wearables, kind of internal um, uh, analysis tools that all could feed into you know eConsult's platform that could then you know basically give GPs a constant stream of, of as it were useful. Um, curated data about their patients and then like you say they could they could proactively prevent illness from that from that data uh, exactly and so and also you know and 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 a flag to them when when the, the ones they need to see in by priority so yeah that's yeah. you know because actually demand is going up and actually we do need a way to kind of filter that and prioritize it so um yeah i i absolutely see that as a future and i i'm not i'm definitely not i know i've kind of may, may have sounded slightly negative about the kind of ai side of things and i'm absolutely not i'm absolutely not i'm just saying apply ai where it adds value in the journey and, and don't just add ai for ai's sake because it's kind of a cool, yeah. cool buzzword it's a bit it's a bit like i always say it's a bit like the driverless car you know we don't yet trust driverless cars but one day we will but at the moment we do trust quite a lot of the driver aids that yeah. help us to drive and this is the same. It's kind of like, look, let's give the doctor or the clinician some assistance. And over time, we'll assist them more and more and more. 
I think this leads me quite nicely to a question that I like to ask all of our guests when they come on this show. Um, we're called What Comes Next. So I am very interested to hear what your sort of grand vision is for the future of medicine or or indeed the future of anything. But this is obviously a conversation <laughs> around medicine. Um, so, yeah, what is it like? What would you love to see our future become in terms of, of healthcare? So I think, yes. Uh, um, my my vision is that all journeys should start online. Okay, now you, you might go, well, hang on, what did you say at the beginning about these people who need to get through on the phone? I, you know, I don't mean all journeys, but I mean the vast majority of journeys start online, as they do now when you interact with a bank or you want to mm -hmm. go on a track. You know, you start online on that journey, right? And the same should be true in healthcare. And your first point of contact should be digital. That doesn't mean that everything should be handled without a human interaction. So actually, but you should save the doctors for, you know, because actually it's, this, it's an ever diminishing resource, the kind of whatever we say in the UK and, you know, demand is going up. We need to maximize the, the use of the, of the clinical resource. So actually only, you know, you should be able to, as a patient, be served a lot of this stuff without having to go into a physical building and you, your care, your kind of, if you need, you know, cancer care, we should be bringing that journey, shortening that journey through the use of digital. So picking up diagnoses earlier and better, better diagnosing people through this. So I think actually all journeys should start online in the future. And then you get to see the right doctor for whatever condition you have, or the right nurse or pharmacist or physio, you know, it doesn't always have to be a doctor. We get very doctor centered, but you know, actually <laughs> if you've got something wrong with your back, actually the system will route you to a physio because that's the best person for you to see. And, and then actually, you know, a face-to-face -face interaction or a phone interaction when you need one or a video interaction. Um, and, uh, and then that's a way to make the health system much more sustainable uh, over time. And, and a better, you know, better experience for patients and, you know, better life for all the clinicians as well. So that's, yeah, that's my vision of the future, I guess. Thank you so much to Dr. Murray Ellender for coming on the show. If you want to find out more about eConsult, you can visit their website, their eConsult.net, eConsult.net. And they're also at eConsult underscore thinks on Twitter. Some really cool stuff there. Amy, eConsult, what do you think? I, I mean, this is so, I feel like this is really topical right now because I had a battle trying to get through to my GP a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, one of those situations where I was trying to book online, but in order to book online, I had to get verified and I had to put, upload my passport and my address. And then the address that they had for me was wrong. So they rejected me. So to change my address, I had to go into the, into the, uh, practice. And just, like it was ridiculous. So this was all just, just to get an appointment. Right. Yeah, right, so right. If, if I could have just done something like this and just skipped the making appointment, skip straight through to the, just, okay, here's what's happening with me. Can someone get back to me about whether or not I need to go in like that would have been an absolute godsend. Um, so yeah, I, I just think, you know, like, I think we all have a huge amount of respect for the NHS after the year, two years that we've had, mm. um, those of us who maybe weren't as aware of it have really gained an appreciation and just massive amount of respect to people who are trying to make, who are trying to streamline the work that our NHS staff do, who are trying to make the experience better for both the the staff and the people who are trying to access the NHS. So yeah, really love this solution. Really want to see them do well. What yeah. did you think about it? No, I think I completely agree. I mean, I think, like you say, it's, su it's such a big win-win, right? You're talking mm -hmm. about making patients, uh, the experience of patients better and making lives, the lives of, of, of not only GPs, because we, we talked a lot about kind of, you know, e-consult primarily, they also have another service, which is more um, kind of A&E emergency medicine focus called e-triage, which is a, a similar concept. Um, so you're talking about making the lives of, of, of lots of medical professionals better and, and, you know, easier. And it's interesting to think that, you know, previously, you know, before the pandemic, it's, it wasn't really a job that you could have any kind of flexibility mm. in, in, term, in terms of working from home, I mean. Now, obviously, after the pandemic, not the word out of the pandemic but we've sort of you know now that things are opening up so many companies are embracing this kind of you know hybrid working style working from home a couple of days a week working in the office working from home entirely 
Um, but without a solution like eConsult, that's not really or hasn't historically been that possible for GPs. It's all been about in-person, face-to-face meetings. So it's great that, you know, not only kind of post-pandemic, when we're so conscious of the stress and the strain of being a medical professional, that they that some of that is being alleviated, but also that they're getting some of the benefits of flexible working that the pandemic has kind of really highlighted. I mean, we're lucky we've, we've you know, worked at a company for a few years now which has been had a very flexible working policy but it's good to see other people doing it because we know the the benefits of it yeah and i mean not even just flexible or remote working but also like like i was kind of saying very early on in the conversation just the ability to not be a hundred percent in front of people all day long the ability to like have a tea break while you're looking through your files or like eat a snack or you know if you have to if you have to make a phone call to someone you can take that time in your day to make a quick phone call like you know these really human touches where i think i think traditionally we've expected healthcare workers to work like machines and they have worked like machines and that's not they aren't machines that isn't the way they should be doing things absolutely yeah yeah um so yeah just giving them a bit more time to be human and you know go to the loo (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think this basic is like, things, right? Yeah, yeah basic human is, necessity. Yeah, for this sure. Is, this is like this is a great solution. So yeah. Yeah, it's also. I mean, it's also a very you know thinking about sort of the the GP dynamic, right? It's a really cerebral job. Mm-hmm. You know, you're mm-hmm. taking kind of you know taking symptoms, which you know we've all done this where we we can say, oh, I've got a pain here. We give quite we can give quite Google some it. vague information. We Google it and then we get ourselves worked up, and then we <laughs> the self diagnose wrong, or we just give information that's too vague, right? So. There's a lot of sort of, yeah, sort of cerebral detective work that has to go on for GPs to actually kind of diagnose and treat, yeah. um, you know, patients. So actually giving them time to, to just think as well, you know, just sort of, right, okay, rather than sort of, like you say, all the all the other sorts of mental activity that goes on, you see someone face to face, you know, the, 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 not just the draining of the energy, but knowing you have to present yourself a certain way that you have to kind of give off mm. this aura of care and attention and so on kind of you know not getting rid of that but streamlining that a bit so you can spend more time you know looking at symptoms thinking okay what could this be what is the best approach that kind of thing and also consulting like knocking on your neighbor's door and going hey have you ever seen something like this like i I don't know how how that works with confidentiality if they're allowed to do that but even just kind of um bouncing an idea off someone and going oh i've seen this in one of my cases what do you think about this idea and as a patient, I'm totally for it. Like, if I can cut down how many times I need to go see a GP, I am so up for that. And it's quite heartening that, you know, that I mentioned that fairly early on was that patients are themselves, you know, are conscious of how much they, of, of how mm-hmm. much time they take up with doctors. They want to, they want to participate in making everything more efficient, making doctors' lives easier. You know, that they, they are aware. And that, that's nice, actually. It's nice to know that people are, are aware of this, that people are, you know, generally, willing to do things and experiment with things that will make doctor's lives easier. So obviously that's a great benefit for e-consult that bringing digitization into healthcare, Mm. Uh, but generally as a sort of, you know, it's nice to know that people are aware of the NHS, of the the work that medical professionals do and are are willing to adopt things that will, will make things better for them. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of What Comes Next. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We're trying to get the word out about the show, so if you have time, please share it with friends or leave a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. If you have any questions about what we've discussed on this episode or would like to talk about your own technology on the podcast, then drop us an email. We're at wcn at grantree.co.uk. Thank you very much again. See you next time.